You're listening to BuddhistGeeks.com, June 18th, 2007, episode 24, With the Light Comes the Dark. In our final podcast with Insight Meditation teacher John Travis, he describes the training that new teachers are going through in his tradition. He also touches on the subject of enlightenment, the shadow, and our tendency to try and bypass the human condition. This is part three of a three-part series. If you enjoy Buddhist Geeks podcasts, please consider supporting us through either a recurring monthly donation or a one-time donation in amount of your choice. To do so, please visit www.buddhistgeeks.com forward slash donate. We thank you for your support. Maybe um, changing direction a little bit and going back to the, to the insight meditation movement. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed is that because on this retreat there were several uh, teachers there that were training. They were yes. becoming teachers themselves. And yes. uh, I was wondering, is there is there anything unique about the way that um, Spirit Rock and IMS are training their teachers that hasn't really uh, doesn't really happen the same way in, say, in Asia? Well, yes. I think there's a, a, probably the biggest thing. It's about the wholeness of the person. And uh, so that in some ways... Uh, I would say that, you know, what are the things that are unique about uh, bringing it to the West? Uh, One is the whole idea that I think there's more women involved. So there's in a sense that that there has to be there has to be the feminizing of Buddhism in my these are just John's views. But I think I could say that this is also the others. There's also the idea of uh, democracy and that we don't have such a patriarchal, uh, you know, uh, teacher up on the pedestal, the all-knowing one, that there actually is a collective, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about a collective, uh, you know, Buddha, uh, Sangha, and that a little more reliance on the community in that way. So it's not so um, hierarchical in that way, but much more, uh, that the wisdom is is uh, circular, and that there are you know a lot of issues of you know all you know I was thinking also the diversity issues that uh, we're open to in the sense what's happening here is that uh, we're trying to really encourage the fact that all uh, all being have suffered in some way and that they all have unique types of suffering, and uh, there are all sorts of diversity issues that. Uh, need to be looked at and see see about what conscious and what's unconscious in that. So there's that, and uh, then there's also the fact that um, we have you know maybe a hundred years of psychology, of really uh, in a sense untangling a lot of our um, narcissistic emotional truth, which I think Asia has not done so much with, and that we are looking at that as well. So we're actually very unique, um, the transference from where I came from and the kind of teachings I had in Asia, which I spent almost nine years in Asia, and coming back here and seeing what is it that we need, what is it that works for us, you know, and still is pointing towards freedom. And we're, we're, we're in a way of, of kind of gullible culture. So we have to bring something that 
really keeps that investigation, that kind of questioning of, you know, who are you? How, you know, how do you operate in a world that is, that's harmless, really, is what I would say, is some way of non-harming. And, and it's a complex society for that. And that probably we won't go to the, uh, the, the safer systems, which it would be the monastic system. Uh, there won't be as many people in that system, which is a safer system. This means is you know it's a higher risk uh, of people getting in trouble uh, in the world uh, with these teachings. In a sense, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that uh, somehow there has to be you know some real discernment mm. going on in and, people. And that's part of what goes on with the training process for teachers. Absolutely that they have to, in a sense, what I've just spoken about is that they have to hold all of this in some way. Mm. You know, uh, both the psychological training, the insight training, uh, the sense of, um, you know, where our culture is in its ideals around diversity and around uh, hierarchy and the patriarch and the... Um, uh, the idea of, of, of democracy, too, of that, that there is, uh, you know, we um, we have a lot of issues. <laughs> and those issues uh, aren't necessarily what the Asians are, are dealing with. They're unique to our culture. And that so these people have to be of our culture. And that these trainees have to uh, not only know the classical, uh, but as well of uh, what's healthy in the culture. So that's the way I see it. So it has to be a pretty, <laughs> pretty broad scope there. Mm-hmm. How long but, do people? How long do people usually train before they're sort of authorized? Uh, well, it's somewhere I think between four and six years. Okay. And uh, then, like for myself, it was actually took longer because uh, I didn't have any psychological training. So I spent about three years uh, on top of my four years being trained uh, and looking at kind of our culture, the emotional values, the kind of our kind of archetypal personality flaws, if I can use that word, that are unique to us and, and to human being, though, I mean, as well. So I felt that was very helpful. It gave me good language and a way to um, be able to sit with people uh, unjudgmentally and, and uh, not just tell them about, just do this, but actually, in a, in, a, in a sense, a more holistic approach of freedom and psychology of really the freeing of the heart. Do you think it's possible, or, or do you, have you seen this with uh, maybe Asian teachers, practitioners, where there can be a real great um, development of spiritual maturity, and then at the same time, maybe having not dealt with some of these psychological issues? Does that uh, often happen? Uh, uh, I'm a product of that. You know, we, we have we have what we call a spiritual bypass. Uh-huh. And, you know, and I was so young when I started this in some ways, and I was so as I mentioned earlier about going overland to Asia, and I sort of burned all my bridges behind me, uh, hoping that somehow I could uh, transcend uh, who I was. But then when I came back here, all those uh, kind of patterns that I hadn't dealt with you know, in my family systems and, and uh, you know, having been sent to boarding school at six and I was, you know, diagnosed as an autistic child when I was, you know, four and a half or something. And uh, a lot of suffering there. And, um, you know, I made a lot of, I, I made a lot of big mistakes. 
I was quite young. And um, coming back and starting to own those and, and kind of look at them uh, maybe differently and not just try to bypass them, but see that they also were teachers and they brought me certain qualities, certain sense of empathy and understanding of the human condition that I had avoided in kind of the Asian model. You know, and if anything, it brought me greater compassion towards uh, you know, people, I think, when I started to own that stuff. You know, and so that's, that's what I found was there had been a bypass. And, um, and I think the bypass went to freedom, but if I could just have stayed a monk in Asia and not come back to the West... And, and not been part of the society, I think I would have been fine. I wouldn't have had to deal with those things. I, I could have just stayed in there possibly, and that would have been okay. But I didn't do that. So I had, yeah, I had to own uh, a whole lot of um, things, I, I, you know, that uh, I just simply, um, you know, my personality and was I wanted to avoid it. <laughs> Avoid the pain of it, the suffering of it, and um, the things that caused it. I've often noticed some confusion, both within myself and with other people that, that I, you know, that I've met. Um, when I hear the some of the models of, you know, like the ten fetters, and um, just just even hearing freedom from suffering, uh, like complete freedom from suffering, that somehow I think if I were to, you know, be enlightened, then. I wouldn't have that would take care of some of these sort of conventional neuroses too and I often find that that's a really predominant view even though you're saying that that's not quite accurate well I think that uh, that is the hope that there'll be one fix at all and that somehow going to here's the thing it's between the personal and the universal and the Buddha pointed to the universal and said well if you could just hang out in the universal you'll be fine but if you come back and <laughs> into the personal, it gets more complicated. So there is, in a sense, there is the, the, the you can't, uh, I really feel like you can't skip a trip in, in the sense that uh, you have to kind of uh, cleaned up uh, the personal on some level. I'm not saying that someone who, say, experiences like the 10 fetters are blown, then I don't think that's a problem. I think that person is just the way they are. You know, it means that they don't have these ten fetters. But one of the things, the eighth fetter is conceit. So you can have a very enlightened person who still is carrying around self-image until they become, in, in this tradition anyway, an arhat, you know, or enlightened being. So I see that that... Um, that it's much. I'm just saying, even in that system, it's it's complicated. Right, right. If that's the eighth fetter. Right, right. Yeah. And you know, not to question the tradition too much, but you know, is it possible that, say, in this system, you could have someone that is, you know, an arhat that wouldn't, that would still have from the outside major, you know, issues from their childhood or traumas. Well, I, I you know, I, I, I don't like going into this at all, but, uh, you know, my years around uh, Trumpa, who I love dearly. And when I came back to the States, I mean, that's the first person I went to. And uh, I loved him. He was, he, you know, you walked in the room and it was like, 
he was a, such a, a part of him was such a clean guy. And the other part was, you know, I go to a party with him and I get, you know, plastered and, um, you know, go, what, what is this? What is going on here? And realizing, oh, this is really not what I was taught, you know. And I think for me, I have to stay in a safer realm. You know, my father's an alcoholic. I'm part Native American. It's just not a good idea, <laughs> you know. And so I had to say, no, that's not where I can go. And I was amazed that he could. And uh, yet, I think he did some very unskillful things, you know, that, that harmed others. And you can say, well, I mean, you can use all sorts of, uh, I think, excuses in my mind. But I myself can't do that. I can only say that, you know, I love the man for who he was and his, uh, in his sense, energetically and his brilliance and all of that. There's no question there. And the other was the example that I got from him. I, I, I could not carry, you know, and maybe that's crazy wisdom saying, oh, you can't follow that. Well, I can say I can't follow that, you know, and so uh, in that way, it freed me from the person in some ways, mm. but also it leaves me also in a quandary. Cool. That's that's helpful, John. I appreciate you discussing that because it seems, mm-hmm. seems pretty pertinent for you know, Western Buddhists and, and our practice. We have to know that the shadows, you know, we, we want ideals. We want heroes. Uh, you know, we want Superman. And all this stuff, and, and I guess in some ways, maybe I've become a little jaded in some ways that I don't. I see that as long as it's in a human form, it has certain limitations, and that I can I can take what I need from what I see, and experience it, uh, but I don't have to abandon myself to uh, to that because uh, it still you know has uh, to me some sorry pieces in it. And, and I can call the shadow and that there is a shadow. If there's light, there's shadow. And if you just look at one thing, uh, you aren't taking in the whole thing itself. And if you can take in the whole thing, then it gives you uh, a perspective on your own uh, possibility and your own freedom for my mind. And it goes back to the Buddha, you know, when he was dying and talking to Ananda and he said, you know, you are, you know, ultimately you are a light unto yourself. And it's really honoring that uh, Buddha within yourself, which uh, helps me in the in the sense of the uh, the Theravadan tradition of being a spiritual friend for people, and that I have to look at that in many ways. And there's brilliant teachers out there. Uh, I'm just a you know somebody who's been working really hard for over 40 years at this, and um, I still have um, you know. Uh, things I see get in my way, and I also see a lot of freedom. But I'm not trying to fool anybody I'm, or trying to make myself into anything. I really, truly want to just say what's so, you know, what's true, and say that you can be free. Uh, this is not a, uh, this is not some hypothetical thing, and it's maybe not as fancy as the mind wants to make it out to be. It may be much simpler and more available than a person realizes. Seems like a great way to um, to end this conversation. Yes, I yeah. think so. This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com, copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by C for Chaos. For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.cforchaos.com.
Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Stancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.